Welcome to Welcome to Welcome to Cell Shock Cell Shock Cell Shock Cell Shock Podcast And I have with me, uh, once again, back from a little bit of a break, uh, Miss Kelly Burke. What's up, Kelly? Oh, hello there. And uh, today with us, we have a very special guest. We have uh, Mr. Jason Cryer. What's happening, Jay? Hey, not much. Thanks for having me on. Um, Now, Jay, you are, uh, you know, you're a really, I think, in my my personal opinion, I really enjoy a lot of your artwork. I've... uh, I've made a lot of, uh, you know, purchases of your shirts and your prints and stuff like that. And, and you know, uh, I just want to say, uh, you know, what to, I guess, how did you get started? You know, what was your, like, big uh, thing that got you really hooked on becoming a graphic designer and, and stuff like that? Oh, well, first of all, you know, thanks for buying the artwork and stuff. But um, what, what got me started, uh, it's hard to really say. I've always done artwork and drawings and things like that and I've always been big into computers so even when I was a kid I had Photoshop on my computer and I would just mess around and do like really horrible you know drawings and stuff like that and post them on DeviantArt and I think that's kind of what got me started was even when I was like 12 years old I was on DeviantArt with all the you know the dorks over there. Do you still have a DeviantArt account? I, I think I may have one active somewhere but I've you know, since erased all of my stuff and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, r- really, it started there. I used to be friend. I've st- I'm still friends with some of the people I met back in those days. Mm-hmm. And actually, I used to talk even to like Phil Fish, who's gone on to make Fez. Oh like, wow! Back back in the day, we used to talk. You know, here and there, we weren't like good buddies or anything. But that's really where it started for me. Was back then. I used to do the artwork, and then over the years, I'd do more and more. And when I did some posters and posted them up on the Mega Sixty Forums, Rocco from Mega Sixty Four actually sent me an email and said, "Hey, we re- you know we really like your artwork. Can we print these?" And I was like, "Of course, you know why would I say no?" So that that's kind of really where my professional career, if you want to call it that, that's where it started. Well, wow, Mega Sixty Four got you put you got you started, I guess, got you noticed more, and and that's how yeah, it all started. Yeah, you know, that was the first time I really was printed you know anywhere people would actually see me so that was a big big um boost to my career if you want to call it that <laughs> wow no i no i'd call it a career i mean it seems like i mean are, are you freelance right now or are you working for a, a company basically or or a little bit uh, of both I, I right now i'm doing 100 percent freelance work and uh doing a lot of t-shirt designs things like that um I, last year, for like about a year and a half, I worked for a winery out in a, out in the California wine country here, designing like brochures and advertisements and stuff like that. But then now I'm just kind of focusing on freelance work as much as I can. Great, great man, that's fantastic. Now I think everyone, you know, uh, myself and um, and Eric and uh, and Kelly, we all really i think really enjoyed your artwork and especially i think my favorite piece of yours is um uh the last of us shirt that you did 
Um, now I don't. I forget the. I forget the title of it. Uh, I don't remember what the title is either. <laughs> <laughs> the, the titles are always the last thing I do. Yeah, like, yeah. It's the, it's the hardest part for me. I can spend as much time putting on a title as I do actually making the artwork. Yeah. But no, thank you, thank you. I like that one too. Yeah, and I, I just what's weird is that a lot of people that haven't even played Last of Us when I've wear, I've worn that shirt around New York City, and a lot of people have. A lot of like my classmates at NYU have been like, "That's a really awesome shirt," but what is it about? And then I explain <laughs> it to them, and they're like, "Oh, cool!" And yeah, and then I, you know, it's really That's it's. Thank who cares? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> some video game thing. I'm over. <laughs> <laughs> no, but even if even if they do sort of maybe not understand the reference, I think they really appreciate the artwork. And I think in that respect, I think that's why I think a lot of your artwork is so great is that even if you don't maybe understand uh, the content, I think the form of all your work I think it just has a certain aesthetic that really draws people in and is I think really, really great and, Oh well, thank you Thank you, appreciate that And uh, I guess, what uh, what projects are you working on right now? Uh, like, immediately right now I don't have anything major coming up I just finished a whole bunch of projects uh, I actually just finished one major project up today. I, I got invited to be part of the official Hellboy 20th anniversary art show. That's awesome. And so I just my art up today and sent it off to the printer. And, but uh, right now, I actually, today, I'm trying to figure out what my next projects are kind of in between, like, jobs that I'm hired to do. I'll come up with T-shirts and, um, you know, try and get them printed on the like the limited edition shirt websites like T Fury and such. That's great. That's great, man. And we'll totally put we'll put a link to your website and all the uh, all your uh, prints and, and that uh, and that announcement in the link dump. And oh. uh, yeah, that's uh, that's great, man. That's uh, fantastic. That's great to hear. Um, I really enjoyed Hellboy and the movies and and through the movies I uh, I started reading or I. Uh, actually, I'm going to start reading the graphic novels because I realized, you know, a lot of people love those graphic novels. And uh, oh yeah, no, I can't recommend it enough. Like, um, I got into Hellboy right before the movie came out. I liked the trailer, so I started wa- reading the comic books, which was almost a mistake because the movie is a letdown compared to how great the comic books are. Sure, but sure. It, it it's its own thing, though. I mean, the movie is good, but it's not what I really responded to, which is the artwork and the the comic books are very kind of slow paced compared to the action tone of the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, Gamble de Toro though, I mean he's uh he had a vision, I think, and he uh, I think he did a good job, especially with the second one. Um, oh, yeah. Hellboy to the Golden Army, which I think is the superior film. Um I think with just the visual aesthetic and and getting these actors to sort of, you know, uh, have these sort of naturalistic performances, but also inject humor and wit and uh, and heart into the uh, into the movie, I thought it was really great. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I guess Kelly and Eric, have you guys seen Hellboy at all or no? 
Uh, no. I saw the first one during, um, when I was 13, I was, uh, sick with pneumonia for five weeks, and I watched a lot of movies during that period, but most of the movies I watched, I only, like, gauged halfway because of how sick I was, and that was one of them. And I don't remember being that impressed with it, but like I said, I want to, I've been tempted to give it a rewatch sometime, just because I feel like I get something out of it more now that I'm both older and not sick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that Hellboy 2 definitely I would recommend is a better movie like all around I think they were kind of in the studio's control a little bit with the okay. first one so they're entertaining though I mean they're definitely worth checking out alright but you say it's sort of like an upward slope that they go when they go on definitely and I mean the way Mike Mignola who's the creator of Hellboy the way he works with comic books and movies and all this stuff the comic books are his creation and he wants other forms to be their kind of own take on the character. That's why the movies are so different from the comic books. Yeah. And I think uh, that's I think that's a good thing, actually. Yeah. I think that's a really good thing. Compare, yeah, I endorse that mentality. You compare that to something like, um, you know, Watchmen, for example, which the movie version is, for the most part, with the exception of the ending, is extremely reverential to the... Um, to the comic book, which you know, it it could work, but uh, I don't know. It, it's sort of like Hellboy's the antithesis of at least the film versions are the antithesis of, of Watchmen in a lot of ways. Oh, I think so. You know, they kind of, with Hellboy, he really wanted to make his own take and his own story, and then you know, Watchmen is just literally the comic book. Yeah, and, and I think in a lot of ways its strengths and a lot of its failures unfortunately are uh, because of that sort of literal adaptation but uh, but yeah Hellboy is uh, especially Hellboy is I just I just love the aesthetic and I think Ron Perlman as Hellboy is just perfect I think he's yeah. really I think yeah, he's yeah. Yeah, I mean, you definitely know. I, oh go ahead sorry no no it's fine but I was, I was just gonna say like I think he is definitely the best actor in the first movie but by the second movie, he's just a great part of a great movie, you know. Sure. And uh, I think he's—I think he's a criminally, criminally underrated actor. I think he really doesn't get. I think because you know he hasn't really gotten any award nominations or anything like that. And but I think he's really great. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, Hellboy, fantastic series. Yeah, like I was series. saying, I, I I can't recommend enough. You guys check out the comic books if you like art or you know horror stories or anything like that it's my favorite comic ever yeah is uh how many uh, volumes of it are there um i think there's something like 50 issues something like that mm-hmm. and then when they put them into the trade paperbacks it's something like 12 i don't i i buy like they did hardcover versions of all the books where it kind of compiles them he doesn't. They don't really release them in graphic novel format. It's kind of just little arcs that they collect together. So I think there's something like 50 issues. That's cool. Yeah, that's great. But uh, but yeah, um, Hellboy. Hellboy's great, and uh, yeah, definitely. We'll I'll put a link in the link dump for those who are interested. I'll put the uh, Wikipedia page and the Amazon page for those who want to buy it and. Uh, yeah, when is uh, your artwork, when is the show going to be uh, up for people to be able to see all your pieces and, and other people's uh, pieces? 
So the show is going to be at the Hero Complex Gallery in L.A. on May 2nd is the opening reception, and I'll be there. I know a bunch of some of my friends are going to be there, and I think even the Magnolas are going to be there, Mike and his wife. And uh, as far as when it goes online, I don't know exactly. I'm going to be submitting my artwork pretty soon, and I know they're going to roll out some artwork up until the show, and then everything will go online, and you can buy the artwork there, everything like that. That's great. That's great. Um, yeah, that's that's great that you're like keeping so busy, man. Freelancing and all that. You know, you're able to, you know, find so many great uh, projects and just be a part of so many great things. That that has to be awesome. So awesome. Yeah, I mean that's definitely my passion is trying to stay busy that way, so I don't have to, you know, go work at Walmart or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's every artist's dream, I guess, is to be able to do something they not love. Yeah, not working at Walmart. Yeah, working at Walmart, and uh, and being able to you know pursue their passions and and earn a living from it. And uh, it's definitely the same way with filmmakers. And and Kelly, for you as a writer, I'm sure you mm-hmm. go through similar stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Kelly, you just put out a, a new article, by the way. Uh, yeah. For Kill Screen, how was uh, how was coming about that? Because you had talked about on previous some previous episodes how you were uh, struggling a little bit, but uh, hard at work on it. So uh, how was how was that process of uh, of writing uh, your latest article? Um, it was a lot different than uh, my previous one, actually. Um, like it, it's amazing how different your processes could be, especially and and if you're going through it for the first time you don't really know what to expect so it's kind of new and exciting in that way uh but it, it was much simpler like it obviously i didn't have to interview anyone um but um the title of it is i'll let you know in a second because uh like jay i forgot the title <laughs> of my work um <laughs> uh it's about it's called pop music and the evolution of dance games and Basically, I started out with the idea of like, hey, I want to write about rhythm games because it's a, it's a subject I have a lot of like uh, knowledge about and it's something I really enjoy. And Kill Screen doesn't have a lot of like music and rhythm games sort of coverage, really. Uh, so I decided um, to start go from there. And then originally, I didn't know what I want to write, I wanted to write about, uh, mm-hmm. but you can't just like pick something and then write like a huge synopsis on the entire genre. I mean, that's, I guess you could, but that's not really for all intents and purposes, what this platform is for. So I needed to come up with some sort of specific angle. Um, and so I basically researched, see what other people were saying about, uh, music games in general. And I decided that, I should stick to dance games because I play DDR and then I also play like the new motion control dance games like Dance Central and it popped in my head one day it was like wait I could write about how one influenced the other and how just how um, that came into being like the motion controls today and how that sort of blew up and how games like DDR, while everyone knows about them, far fewer people 
were playing them as opposed to like the motion control games today. Like, for example, um, I think DDR all in all sold about 1 million copies, whereas Dance Central is sold, or just Dance has sold 48 million copies. Whoa. Uh, so that was like, okay, there's so that I got something here. So basically, that's what it was. It was basically like, hey, I really love DDR, but it didn't really catch on like Dance Central and Just Dance did. And why is that? And I linked it to a bunch of stuff, but I think part of the reason was how pop music sort of like became king the past like decade or so. Uh, like the late aughts sort of um, into today and how uh, EDM exploded. Uh, oh yeah, that's got to be a huge mitigating yeah, factor. Yeah, and of course like pop music is a reflection of like it's kind of like what's hip, like distilled down for the masses, you know, like, uh, so you see a lot of electronic influences in pop since, uh, like around 2008. Uh, so, and that's when these motion control games, like just serendipitously, you know, like motion controls, I think a dance game would have been invented regardless, but I think like definitely the, the dance hall sort of influences and, and pop music today definitely helped. Oh yeah, totally. So that, that's Absolutely. basically what that's all about. That whole article, and it's very it's personal, you know. Like originally, I had a lot of industry chatter in there, just like numbers, like this is how many copies this game sold, and it wasn't interesting to read. Like that's that's basically what I was told. So that's why I think in a lot a lot of net, um, a lot of articles nowadays, you have authors, some people like this, some people don't, put in more of a personal like feel in the stories uh or like anecdotes you know like the whole new video game journalism movement which i think is fascinating and i enjoy reading someone like when they put in like a personal anecdote or even just like not even their own story but you know another story that's on a smaller scale but still grounded in the in the theme of what they're trying to express uh I enjoy reading that personally, so, and that's what they wanted me to go for. So I was like, sure, I'll do that. So, yeah. That's hey, that, I'll tell you what. I, having read the article, and we're definitely going to put in the link dump. Uh, I really, you know, I don't know a whole lot about sort of the history of dance games and stuff like that, and. Uh, Hopefully, now you know, you know a little bit more. Yeah, I de- <laughs> no, absolutely. It was really great in providing me some backstory and also, you know, reading your, you know, your sort of story about, you know, playing, you know, dance games and how that, you know, those really connected with you. Uh, I thought it was a, I thought it was a really great article, Kelly. Oh, I thought it was really interesting to read. And, uh, yeah. And for those who haven't read, uh, how was, uh, I guess... Since you know you published the um, your article on Mega sixty four, how's I guess now looking back on it? I mean, has that has that led to I guess more uh, more I guess uh, attention for you as a journalist and stuff like that? Um, I can't really can't really say for sure because this this article did far less well. I guess you at least as far as like views go 
but that's because I had a whole community behind the first one. And I mean, it's really funny because um, dance the Dance Central Twitter actually re- shared my article, and that's awesome. That's great. Yeah, I actually i I tweeted at the um, uh, product manager of Dance Central, uh, Jessa, and. I, I just I didn't expect anything to come of it really I was just like hey you know why not give it a shot and then she retweeted it from Dance Central account which has far more followers than the Mega 64 Twitter yeah how and, many followers and, does it have uh, I, I think like 50,000 something like that oh wow but the funny part is far less people cared <laughs> <laughs> um, and it just goes to show you that even if like your work is being blasted into like the void with when a lot of people might see it, it's like quality over quantity, I guess, you know, like if you can, I guess this goes back to the whole doctor who thing a little bit. And so far as like, if there are people who are really into something and they support it as opposed to dance central, like I said, a lot of people play play those games, but it's not like DDR where it's like if something DDR related comes out, I feel like that community is more uh, fervent, I guess, and like wants to get up, be a part of that. You know, it definitely has a more solid, enthusiastic fan base, I guess. You know. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I feel like if you, the person, the average person, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing Dance Central or the community, but I feel like the average person who is following this Twitter account is in it for like the occasional free code for a song or something like that, you know? Sure. And not much beyond that, which is fine. Uh, So, um, yeah, but I'm happy, like, I'm happy with the results regardless, you know? Um, Yeah. So you know you're only as good as your latest article, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. And that's that's just the reality of it. But uh, I think it was a I think it was a really I think it was a quality article, Kelly. Thanks. So how was uh? But I mean, how was that experience so far? I mean, you've been working at Kill Screen for a while now. Yeah. I guess how was how's that experience been overall for you? You know. So I mean, so far. Yeah, well, I mean, overall, it's great. I learned a lot of new stuff. Um, I I guess from here on, it's just like, I'm excited to see where it takes me next. So Absolutely. That's all I have. It's, it's really all there is to say. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So be it. But, uh, yeah, that that's great, Kelly. And, um, yeah, I mean... Speaking of games, though, I mean, I've, uh, I actually, what's weird is that after you wrote that article, Kelly, I went out and I, um, <laughs> I looked up videos of, um, the only, uh, Dance Dance Revolution game I've ever played, and that's the, uh, the Mario Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if any of you guys have ever played that, nope. but, um. No, it's all about Konamics on PS1. Ooh. <laughs> did they make Dance all Dance? That. Did they make Dance Dance Revolution games for PlayStation One? Oh yeah, the original yeah, yeah. Dance Dance Revolution, yeah. and Konamics. 
Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Okay, so yeah, they... it's all about that. Yeah, wow. I have them. They're right there. I'm pointing at them. You can't see me, but... <laughs> yeah, good thing this is audio only. Yeah, shouts out. <laughs> shouts out to Kelly's collection of Dance Central and Dance Dance Revolution games. <laughs> but, uh... No, but yeah. I just remember when I was like 11, 12 years old playing that game for hours. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I really liked that game. I thought it was really fun. And it definitely turned me on to Dance Dance Revolution. Uh, it's <laughs> just that a lot of arcades on Long Island uh, didn't have acts, didn't have like Dance Dance Revolution. Mm-hmm. So I really, you could only do it if you bought the games. And I didn't have a PS2. And uh, I couldn't afford a PS2 at the time, or a PS3. So, uh,. I just had Mario Dance Dance Revolution for the GameCube. <laughs> oh, that's but, a bummer. It's all about going to the arcade and playing it, and then like playing Initial D for a couple minutes, <laughs> and then like uh, going back to the Dance Dance Revolution and making fun of the kids who like hold the pole behind the. Oh yeah. The, uh, thing. You see that all Only the time. Only amateurs grab onto that pole. Yeah. Well, actually, well, I mean. It- yeah, and then you got games like In the Groove. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but it's basically... Is that the DDR knockoff? It's it's a knockoff, but it's made by DDR fans who basically wanted a, more of a challenge, pretty much. <laughs> and so you, like, top players hold have to hold the bar. And sure. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, it's just mesmerizing to see them do, like, dance because... I I actually I have a I, a friend who is active in the rhythm game community and uh, I've met a lot of people through her that are just I, I'm just like I'm never I'm never gonna be as good as you the what <laughs> it it's amazing how it, it's kind of similar to the fighting game community and like how dedicated these people are and you know it, it's it's a lot definitely a lot of parallels even though they're entirely like different genres. Uh, it's a community that doesn't get as much attention as the as the FGC, but yeah, a lot of parallels. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, definitely sounds like it. But um, but yeah, speaking of games, though, just uh, I guess uh, Eric, what games have you been up to? Uh, not much because I just went back to classes. But uh, re- I guess uh. Recently, in between stuff, I've been playing. I, I played. I mentioned this last time, but I played just a little bit more of uh, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. Nice. And, uh, I haven't made too much progress in that. Uh, it's still good. Nothing new to say on it. Uh, and on my 3DS, I've been playing a little bit more of. I think I also mentioned this before on an episode, but uh, Weapon Shop de Almasse. Uh, and I think I've almost beaten that one, actually. I think I'm getting pretty close to the end. Uh, Has it been I've... so far? It's good. Um, the gameplay is uh, getting a little repetitive, but at the same time, I enjoy it, so I don't mind it. But I think that's like the one thing I would definitely emphasize if I was to recommend that to someone, is that like you have to... You have to enjoy if like pretty much if you don't enjoy like the first level or two of the game, you won't enjoy anything else about it. I would say, um, because I mean it's repetitive and fun, but like uh, the I think the big draw to it is that it has like such a fun world and interesting characters, and I like all the de- text and dialogue stuff in it. So that that is also is like 
I think what's keeping me like held on and not going on and playing something else that's fun. Um, but yeah, I've explained that game I think on another podcast. So yeah, I'll just say that that, that that's still good and fun. Uh, I'd recommend that if you like uh, games about organization and uh, rhythm games and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I think the concept of it just that sounds really cool. Yeah, it's something, it's something different. It's definitely, like I said, that, that, that was the draw for me, is that the whole role reversal thing of uh, playing the shop owner within an RPG as opposed to the hero of the RPG. Uh, and it, and as you go as you go on, um, you meet a lot of different heroes who come in and write, what, rent weapons. And like, like I said, uh, in, whenever I talked about this originally, you can you follow like all their different stories. And at first, it, it's kind of like you feel overwhelmed by it, but I think... But eventually, like, you meet pretty much everyone there is to meet, and I think once you are introduced to everyone, it's easier to follow and get to... It's easier to follow their individual stories and just know their characters and be like, oh, this guy's going off to do this, and you, you get a feel for who you like and who you don't really care for, and I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, 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 get, you, get a, you get a good flow with it eventually. Um but yeah, it can be a little overwhelming in the beginning just because you're meeting so many different heroes. And I, I, th- I don't know if you're used to that in an RPG. Like, so in an RPG, you're just concentrating on the story, but like, it's not like all these characters have much of a connected story. They're all actually kind of off doing their own things, but you interact with them pretty equally. So it gets a little hectic, but at, at a point, uh, you manage, I think. That's awesome. Uh, I, I mean, it sounds really, really cool. And the concept and, and the execution sounds like it's it's pretty good for the most part. Yeah, I like even it a lot. It's repetitive. Yeah, I was just thinking this about this earlier. I, I wish they would uh, like have like a free demo or something on the eShop because like I feel like a, you would be, very easily be able to gauge whether or not that's your cup of tea or not by just playing like like a stage or two. Of yeah, it. yeah, I I think that'd be perfect. I'd love to if they had a demo. I'd yeah. love to try it. I mean, how much does it cost just as is now? Uh, like six or seven dollars. Six or seven. Oh, that's nothing. That's not too yeah. bad. Yeah, and for a level five game, and level five games are pre- are usually pretty short. Like I said, uh, I forget if I actually talked about this one, but I beat Liberation Maiden uh, a couple weeks back, and that I is, like I don't think that that game is any longer than two hours total of, of gameplay time. Mm-hmm. And I know, and I know that the level five uh, guild series games are mostly known for that, just being these like sort of like really short like. Dis- kind of like distraction type games like they're not meant to be these invested like uh these experiences that you invest so much time and they're just meant to be like these like little one-off fun things to distract yourself from other bigger things from um so yeah when i when i bought this one i was a little hesitant because i got the other ones on sale for like three bucks and i was like well i hope this one's good because i'm gonna but i'm really interested in the concept of it so i'll i'll dish out a little bit for it and i honestly think uh yeah, I've been spending a lot more time on this game than I thought I would. Like, it is, uh, I can't, I'm actually surprised I haven't hit the end yet because I feel like with what I, what, with the other, um, with the other Guild Series games I've played and what I know about the other ones, I feel like I know they're all a lot shorter than what I've, what I've been playing, uh, with this. So if that's any other extra draw is that I think this is probably the longest of the Guild Series games so far. Uh, and I think that, I think that's also part of why it took the longest to get localized and brought over here in America, because it came out like almost a full year after the last few came out, 
it, uh, I think probably because of that, and also just just there's a lot of text because, like I said, there's so many different characters that you interact with, and so many different types of conversations that you have. Like, I feel like you almost do get like a full RPG's worth of text <laughs> in it, even though you're, yeah. you're just doing this sort of like one simple thing uh, within it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, it, it's a it's real. If anything, get it just if you're interested in the idea of just playing something different and just going for that. Uh, yeah, if you don't want to get if you're if you're sick of uh, Final Fantasy 13 Lightning Returns and all that, then yeah, this sounds like a good alternative yeah, type of game. Yeah, it, it's definitely a good unwander. I think from those bigger titles and those more investive types of series like Final mm-hmm. Fantasy. Uh, so yeah, just. I, Simple, different. If like you're looking for something new and but don't want to buy something big, yeah, I don't know. It's a good game for that. Yeah, sounds good, man. It's a, uh, it's good to hear. It's good to hear that that games like that, you know, the, there's you know high quality games that are, you know, cheap, not too expensive, but also are you know provide you interesting, unique experiences. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, and it's been getting a lot of mediocre reviews too, which I get if you don't know anything about it. But I feel like if you know what you're getting, it's actually a pretty good game because it it does everything well that it sets out to do. I think. Yeah, if you know what you're getting, you temper your expectations and. Yeah. Yeah. Like like I said, it has repetitive gameplay, and I could see how if you didn't know what you were getting, you might get a little bit bored or put off by that. But uh, the further, you, but I think if you know that like all you're going to be doing in this game is managing a weapon shop and catering to these couple of heroes who come in and out of your shop and just every, just all the little things that are involved with it, I think it, it, it does all that well. And, and like I said, the dialogue, I think, is really well written. Uh, written. It's, uh, it's funny, it's interesting, the characters are all... Ha, like, I, they, they're, they, they've all got a different dynamic to them, none of them feel repetitive or the same. I mean, there's there's heroes, and then there's NPCs that you can rent weapons to, and the NPCs are all similar, but that's because they're meant to be. But the actual heroes who come into your shop to rent weapons are all different types of characters. They're all very diverse. So that, that keeps it interesting, too. Very cool. Well, that's great, man. It's great that you're having a good time with it. Yeah, definitely. Jay, what have you been up to? You been playing any games lately? Video games? Board games? Whatever? Um, Honestly, not too much. Uh, I have been playing Peace Walker actually, just like Eric. Yeah. I've been trying to get through that. I have it on the HD collection on the uh, on PS3, and I I don't know that I'm really that into it. Like I think it definitely is meant to be played on a portable thing. I don't really play portable games all that much, so well, I I don't know. I I like it, but it definitely has its its limitations, and the gameplay is not that great for a console. So, other than that, honestly, I haven't been playing too much. I really wanted to check out the uh, the South Park game that came out recently. Yeah, um, yeah, stick I just, the truth. Uh, I didn't really have money for it at the time, and now I'm just kind of waiting for it to go down in price, I think. I, I, I haven't had a ton of time to play games, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Amazon had a sale recently where it was like 20% off, so it was only like 40-some dollars for a couple days ago. Yeah, you know, I, I saw that, and even then, it's like, I'm kind of waiting. I'm in between a couple of uh, big projects right now, so I was like, I, I better wait. I don't have time, really, right. to play it anyways. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's maybe, you know, you keep it as a sort of, like, a reward, you know, finish all this artwork, work hard, and I get to relax and play South Park. I do that all the time with stuff, with projects, but... Um, 
But yeah, South Park Stick of Truth, yeah, it's a it's a really fun game. That's what I've been playing lately. Oh right. Um, I'm up. I'm. It's just I'm up to a part where I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, it's it's basically not what I expected at all from a South Park game in terms of the story. But at the same time, I think it's better because it's it's better than I ever expected because it's subverting my expectations. And it's really fucking funny, too. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I've really, really enjoyed this game. It's easily one of my favorite games that co- to come out this year so far. Can't recommend it enough. Especially if, oh, you lo- especially if you love the show. If you love the show, this is going to be one of your favorite games ever made. <laughs> Uh, there's just so many Easter eggs, so many references, so many callbacks, so many, so much great little details from the show in the game, and it's great. And uh, I mean, there's there's callbacks to stuff from like the first few episodes of South Park, which is really really cool. Nice. And um, yeah, so I've been playing that, and. Uh, I've been playing a little bit more of uh, DMC, uh, the Devil May Cry reboot. Just getting through that. Uh, it's getting better and better as it goes along. You know, I, I've never really been a big fan of hack and slash games, but I've been having a lot of fun with this one. And, uh, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to uh, finally uh, playing. Um, uh, Watchdog soon, you know. I, I'm really looking forward to that game um, in a couple months, and um, hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll be good. You know, I think I talked about it on a few episodes ago. I was a little trepidatious about it because of all the delays and the trailers, and but uh, yeah, I mean, I really hope it's good, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that game been watching uh, some more videos about it and stuff like that but uh, yeah that's what I've been playing lately and uh, haven't had a whole lot of time for games either like UJ I've been uh, I've been working on projects for uh, for school and stuff like that and uh, outside of school so but uh, just trying to get as uh, as much uh, video game time as I can uh, can definitely be relaxing, a good stress reliever. But uh, yeah, Kelly, what uh, what have you been up to though? What, what games have you been playing lately? I finished Paper Mario: Thousand Year Door. Nice. Huh. I meant, I think I mentioned I was playing that. Uh, yeah, a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the last well, time we had you know, the uh, the Brits on. I'm playing. Uh, I'm, I've been playing it like one day out of the week at my friend's house. Um, mm-hmm. and I finally finished it, and it was amazing. I've never played a Paper Mario game before, uh, and I was very pleased, pleasantly surprised. Well, I didn't really know what to expect, but I think I think part of me was expecting it to be more of like a, this is, I don't even like saying this, but like a kid's game, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's so much more than that. It's, yeah. uh it's definitely it's not super easy it's not like a kitty game there's a lot to it but at the same time it doesn't bog you down in like a lot of menus and and screens like um more complicated rpgs do 
Uh, I'm I'm playing Bravely Default right now as well, and it's it, it's it's like a a totally different experience from Paper Mario, but it makes me appreciate both in the different in you know in different ways. But um, I just love the way the Paper Mario like. It, it builds upon itself in a nice, slow, continue like gradual way. It doesn't throw everything out at you from the beginning. Uh, I think that's a, pr- a a slight problem uh, with a lot of other JRPGs. Is especially for if you're new to the genre, it's hard to start. You know, you know like you don't know where to start because I, the first time I played an RPG, I didn't really. I didn't really understand everything that the game threw at me from the beginning, probably until halfway through the game. So, you know, there have been games where, like, 20 hours in, and I'm like, oh, this is how this works. Because uh, th- everything is basically thrown at you in a, a minute tutorial, and it doesn't really... It, it, it's hard to, to teach, like, a, a game that way, I think. Uh, oh, definitely. Obviously, Paper Mario is super simple compared to those, but I just like the way you get a move and then you use it in a chapter, and then chapter two, you get a new move, but you still have to use the move from the previous chapter. So it's also not like... um, My friend brought up how in some Zelda games, if you get a new uh, ability, sometimes uh, the game will kind of forget about it later on like you might not use it as much mm-hmm. um whereas this is paper mario it's like uh oh i need to use special ability from this character i got in chapter two even though it's chapter five now you know it's um it's basically b- the way it builds upon abilities and you have to keep going back to them it's 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 nice because you never feel like anything is a waste and it's also not overwhelming it's not like they you start the game and you have all this stuff that you need to learn right then and now and use everything now. Um, so it was it was fun and relaxing and and also the I mean the the writing and the story are so lighthearted and and quirky and fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like I really feel like, it. yeah, but yeah, I'm really I'm really glad you enjoyed it, Kelly. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah. I, I don't know, Eric or or, uh, or Jay, if you guys have, have played any of the Paper Mario games at all. But, I played uh, the first one when it came yeah. out. Yeah, I played the first one. I played the hell out of the first one. I eventually got stuck, um, so I never beat it, but I played a lot of the first one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was one of my favorite games. that I, I never owned it, but I would go to Hollywood Video and rent it like every week. I mm-hmm. love that game. But, uh... Yeah, that's the only one I played. I played a couple of the Mario and Luigi games on the Game Boy, but that's it. Yeah, the Mario and Luigi games, uh, Superstar Saga, Partners in Time, mm-hmm. Dream Team. Yeah, Dream Team is the newest one, right? Yeah, uh, I'm not I've sure. Only, uh, I mean, I still I, I own it. Uh, it's definitely on my list to get to it eventually, but I uh, the only one I played is Bowser's uh, Inside Story. Yeah, I heard that's great. Or that's fantastic. I, I've only only played the uh, the first two, but uh, I've heard Bowser's Inside Story is great. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it wasn't like amazing, but mm-hmm. it was it was pretty good. It, uh, I think it lived up to my expectations. Oh yeah, I played. Um, 
I played Bowser's Inside Story, and then of course I played the original Super Mario RPG. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yes, yeah, original Super Mario RPG. Yeah, that was the predecessor to Paper Mario, and yeah, uh, yeah that's. I've never, I've never played that game, unfortunately, but I really want to because I heard it's it, uh, fantastic. It's it's good. Um, I played it for the first time. I think maybe like two or three summers ago, um, and it was good. But I don't think it lived up to the hype. Mm -hmm. uh, it was definitely like this is Mario, this is an RPG with Mario stuff in it, and this is a definitely a better story than the platformer Mario's have. But that's all I got out of it. I didn't. My mind wasn't blown or anything. But it was like, yeah, that was that was solid. That was well made. That was everything I expected out of a Super Mario RPG. But and it went a little bit a hair above that, but otherwise, yeah, I, I definitely don't feed it to the hype as much as some other people do for that game. But it was, it was still solid, and it's definitely still worth checking out if you're into mm. the concept and Mario RPGs and all that. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, there you go, Mario. He's uh, Paper Mario, great series. And, uh, yeah, it's weird with the Mario games, like, you know, all the RPGs and stuff like that, like, I don't think anyone ever would have thought that, you know, when Super Mario Brothers came out and, and you know, and all that, that there, you'd ever see a Mario RPG and that would be great, but it's sort of weird, like, how really, like, for the most part, how really great those games are, and, mm -hmm. uh, like, I mean, but I think that's just because of the characters and the story of Mario yeah. just sort of lend themselves to, like, an RPG story, you know? I don't. Yeah. Think, I don't think Mario would really work in like, a, you know, a, a first-person shooter or a well, hack and slash game. He's gotten a ton of other stuff. You know, you got Mario Party. You got Mario Soccer. You got Mario Baseball. You got Mario Kart. Mario. They've done a lot of stuff with Mario that I feel like that they wouldn't have thought otherwise back in the '80s. But definitely. yeah, the, the the '90s were definitely a very interesting experimental time for Mario, and a lot of that ended up carrying on and. Uh, being a, ha having having the the ideas they came up with for Mario during that period of time definitely broadened a lot. I think uh, throughout the late '90s and 2000s and up to now. Yeah, and then you had the uh, in the early '90s you had the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, I've uh, been reading a, a bunch of behind the scenes stuff uh, of that after. Um, Basically, uh, someone uh, talked about it recently, and um, I just had a conversation with a friend recently about video game adaptations and stuff like that. And we talked about the Super Mario Brothers movie, and I've been reading a lot of like behind-the-scenes stuff, and uh, it's really, actually, really interesting. Sort of the production design because apparently they got uh, the for the for the film they got the production design. Uh, head of Blade Runner for the film. Oh, that makes sense, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it really does, and it's um, uh, it's just such a weird, weird behind-the-scenes thing because they were constantly writing the script, and you know, initially it was like a fairy tale, like children's film, and all the original actors had signed on for that film and then all of a sudden you know this couple directors who had done a bunch of episodes of the 80s TV show Max Headroom I don't know if you guys have ever heard Jeez. of that 
Was that on MTV or something? Maybe. I have no idea. All I know is it basically revolves around this artificial intelligence named Max Headroom, who's sort of like this TV personality. And the whole series takes place in this, uh, you know, this corporate building. And it's really weird. And But apparently they were like, oh, hey, you can direct episodes of this show. You can direct the Super Mario Brothers movie. Hmm. And, uh, but, um, yeah... Apparently, just everyone on that set had just an absolutely miserable time, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, it was just the directors were extremely arrogant and totally just jerks to the extras, and and uh, yeah, they basically Bob Hoskins <laughs> summed it up best when an interview asked him what was the worst film he ever worked on, yeah. and what was uh, a movie he would never do again he would like take back he would just want to never remember and that was the super mario brothers movie <laughs> yeah i've heard him shit on that movie in interviews too and he john really did not have a good experience with it john leguizamo talks about in his autobiography too that he and bob hoskins would show up on set drunk off their ass <laughs> and they would just do scenes and those scenes would end up in the movie and at one point, he slams his uh, he slams Bob Hoskins' finger in a door of a van, and he had to get a cast. And for a couple scenes in the movie, they had to shoot around the fact that Bob Hoskins had a cast on his on his hand. Mm. It was just it was just a total nightmare. But I just I love reading like behind the scenes stuff like that, like documentaries and stuff like that. I think it's really really fascinating. But um, but yeah. Speaking of movies, though, uh, I guess uh, Jay. Uh, every uh, podcast we have a, a segment where we uh, we recommend uh, a movie, a TV show, and an anime series. Could okay. be one. Or it could be one of each, or it could be just one separate. You could just have a movie or a show or, or an anime series uh, to recommend uh, to the listeners out there. So, uh, basically, any media that's not video games. Basically, okay. basically, okay. And, and books, because <laughs> come on, we've had uh, we had manga. No, we've had uh, manga suggestions on here before. Yeah, we had okay. One Punch Man. That's uh, that's a great manga. Hmm. Well, shoot. I guess. I mean, recently, I recently saw Noah, but I don't know that I would really pick that as my as my choice. I don't yeah. know if you guys are um, are like super familiar with Kurosawa's movies at all, but um, I recently saw, actually, Criterion just put out The Hidden Fortress on Blu-ray, and I'd actually never seen it before. I've seen a bunch of his other movies, but Hidden Fortress, I think, is one of his most entertaining movies, flat out, and I definitely would recommend that. Like, um, George Lucas, it was it's famously a major influence on George Lucas and on Star Wars. And watching the movie, it's like so apparent. The oh, entire yeah. movie, you Definitely. kind of follow these these two like uh, not criminals, but kind of these two goofy characters throughout the entire adventure. That doesn't really have that much to do with them. So very similar to R two D two and C three PO, you're kind of dropped in there with these guys and follow them through this big grand adventure. And there's like a princess and like. I, a lot of the locales even reminded me of scenery from Star Wars. Like, it definitely was a huge influence on George Lucas. And uh, as a Star Wars fan, interesting to watch. But even just on its own, Kurosawa is one of the best filmmakers, you know, to ever live. So, 
I guess I would recommend Hidden Fortress definitely. Yeah, Hidden yeah, Hidden Fortress is fantastic. I think my favorite um Kurosawa film would have to be uh uh Seven Samurai though. Sure. I think yeah, that's I'd... just a given <laughs> for a lot of people is Seven Samurai, but I just think that's just an incredible film. Just everything about it, the the cinematography, the editing, the shot composition, the acting, the writing, everything about that film is is just incredible in in its artistry and I really enjoyed it. Definitely. Yeah. And then as far as like animes and that that stuff goes, um I don't watch too much TV because I actually don't. I moved to my current apartment maybe six months ago, and I haven't had cable since then, so I don't mm. really. Keep up. But um, I've been actually watching Cowboy Bebop for the first time, which obviously everybody is familiar with Cowboy Bebop except me. But I'm like halfway through, and I really yeah. like it. It's just a lot of fun. It's not. Yeah. Um, it's not on the same level as Evangelion, which I know a lot of people put it on that level, and. Yeah. It's just a fun show where even yeah. I think has a lot more deeper themes behind yeah. it. I mean, there's themes in Cowboy Bebop, but they don't go to the depth that Evangelion goes. I, I, I enjoy it for the same reasons that sound like you pretty much enjoy it for, which is it, it's just fun and it looks really good and it's just a ride. Yeah, it, it's like, uh, to me, it's like the anime version of Star Wars. It's entertainment. It's just lots of fun, you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, Cowboy Bebop, <laughs> that's my recommendation. <laughs> Nice. Hey, those are really good recommendations. Hidden Fortress and and uh, Cowboy Bebop. That's that's pretty damn good. Oh. Um, Kelly, what would you recommend this week? Hmm. Um, haven't seen anything new, believe it or not, since. Uh, but so I'll go into my archives and I'll pull out something on something diff quite different. And go with. I don't think we talked about this, but I'm gonna recommend the movie My Sassy Girl. It's. Nope, you've it... never talked about that. Nope, you have <laughs> no, not. No, <laughs> it's like it's such a like famous movie that I don't know. Like, it's for those of you who don't know, it's a South Korean movie. It's probably just one of the most successful. Um, South Korean like romance comedy movies ever and I think uh, they made an American version but I I it's weird I heard about that and all the like the, the backlash against it and but then I guess it came out in 2008 and I didn't even know like <laughs> like know about that and I don't even know if it was in theaters but um, but anyway it's about a a man who meets a drunk girl on a on a train and it's it's a love story basically and I I really liked it and I actually have believe it or not I haven't seen a lot of Korean film but um I would definitely recommend My Sassy Girl I mean it's it's well known for a reason I think it's just it's really cute and heartwarming, but not like overly cheesy and cliche. I think. Um, so yeah, uh, my sassy girl. <laughs> Have you any of you 
seen it? No, unfortunately not. No, I should have got Frank. I'm sure he's seen every, I mean, he knows every Korean movie ever made. Frank Cowley. <laughs> yeah, Frank was on a, a previous episode and he talked about his um, uh, his love of uh, Korean cinema and stuff like that. So Yeah, he, yeah he's, he's very... Probably- it's probably the most famous Korean romantic comedy Damn. out there. I would, well, I would guess, but I mean, it, the fact that it has like a a well-known English title, I think, is I don't know, but and the 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 actor is Cha Tai Hyun, which who is a uh, singer as well. He's an actor first and foremost, but he's also done some this music. And it's hmm. oh, it's okay. That's actually how I knew him as a this this singer before I saw the, the film because I really I'm really into Korean music, so um, that's how I heard about it. Nice. So that's something great. completely different. There mm-hmm. you go. There you go. Yeah, we'll do it. Go see it with your girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely a big date movie. I watched it by myself on my laptop in college. <laughs> Hell yeah. Living that college life. There's even a Bollywood version called I Didn't oh, Know About This. Oh, how perfect. <laughs> how yeah, fitting. To watch that. It's called Ugly or Pugly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I don't bother with titles because it's usually like a bunch of words, and then one of that, one or two are in English, and it's funny because you're like, I understand half of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Have you watched any Bollywood movies lately, Kelly? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I think the last one I mentioned. Oh no, I didn't mention it because we we didn't do an episode that week. But I watched a movie called Dawn. And it was crazy. Uh, oh, yeah, you talked about that, I believe. I did. I can't remember if I did or not. Because I remember I talked about it to you, but I don't remember if it was on the podcast. So what is Don about, for those who aren't familiar, though? Um, <laughs> Don is a film. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's... Oh, it's a remake? Wow, I didn't know that. Um, it's an action thriller, and it has a lot of it is a big twist at the end that I didn't see coming, and I should have seen it coming. Um, is it like an M. Night Shyamalan type twist? No, I mean... It's still... Yeah, why don't we say just yes? Um, <laughs> it, it, like, completely changes the whole movie, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, basically, Don is a part of uh, illegal d- drug trade in Asia, and... Um, he's being hunted and the, uh, the police actually catch him. Uh, but then they send, um, they send someone who as undercover to infiltrate the, the cartel in order to like get proof. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's kind of convoluted, but it, it, you go kind of just go along with it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, and basically, and he has a catchphrase that's like, uh, many try to catch the dawn, but no one ever does, or something like that. I don't know. It sounds better when it's coming, it's in uh, Hindi. So, um, mm-hmm. 
yeah. No, I'm oh. sure. I mean, it sounds interesting. I mean, like, I have some friends who... I have friends that I sit down and I'm like, hey, we should watch this Bollywood movie because it's really fun and I think you'll like it. But then again, I have some friends who I know can't stand it. And I understand <laughs> why, because it is, it is, they're long, first of all, not all of them, but some of them are like, you know, three and a half hours long. And yeah, there's that's, a lot of, yeah. I mean, they're getting more action oriented, but a lot of older ones are just mostly romance and a lot of talking and drama and then the singing and dancing scenes and i dig that stuff uh but but man like it they're for a good laugh like i mean the cg is it's getting better but it's really corny looking and like the fight scenes are really fun to watch even though they're not that not the best choreography you know it's just and uh it's just a lot of yeah i've talked about it before but um That's you know what you're getting into, pretty much. Yeah. When you sit down and watch a Hollywood film, <laughs> it seems to be you either you either love it or you hate it. At least for, as far as Americans go, the mm-hmm. Americans have shown them too. Yeah. To be fair, Bollywood movies are. Would you say Bollywood movies are definitely meant for people who live in India more so than? I guess a, a wide oh, yeah, sort I mean, of audience like, compared to like Hollywood blockbusters, you know, and stuff like that, which are sort of meant yeah, to I appeal mean, like, to everyone. I, I don't think Indian directors go out of their way to like appeal to a, a world audience, but it just so happened to start turning that way, you know, recently. Mm-hmm. Especially they're popular in in England and slowly sort of making it. I don't know. You, the United States is like impenetrable. It's in a lot of ways for a lot of foreign filmmakers. It really is. Yeah, same thing with music, you know. And it's it it's it's interesting how the rest of the world is so open to, like, especially ours, the stuff that we pump out. I mean, in a lot of ways, Bollywood is kind of trying to just copy stuff from Hollywood. You know, like. They aspire to that, I think, in a lot of ways. Well, I mean, the name Bollywood itself, you know. Exactly. <laughs> this tells you everything you know right there. Basically. Uh, yeah, but for whatever reason, it's like uh, Asian media, it's just not commonly accepted. It's not in the mainstream here at all. Mm-hmm. There's some cult classics, but beyond that. Well, hey, uh, if you if you really love those movies, Kelly, and you have a passion for it, passion for them and all that that's great mm-hmm. but um yeah and i'm pissed off because shiny oh this is a totally another topic but shiny is going to south america but not not north america well they're going to mexico and south america but they're not going to tour in the united states and i'm pissed off what what's who what is shiny for those who aren't familiar i mentioned this before but shiny is a korean boy band that i really like they're recently i think i like them more than big bang now they're amazing and i think i don't think they're ever gonna come over here again at least not solo so hopefully hopefully soon though hopefully one day i looked up plane tickets to mexico (laughs) oh wow yeah i but i'm not i'm not not gonna do it so (laughs) anyway uh well there you go (laughs) Thanks for the recommendation, Kelly. But uh, Eric, my friend, what have uh, what have you been watching lately that you'd recommend? Uh, I think I got two movies. I was thinking about holding one off for another episode, but I think I'll just 
get him out of the way now so I don't forget. Um, <laughs> it'll happen. Uh, first movie I recommend uh, that I saw, I think maybe like a week or two ago, is a movie called The Machinist, starring Christian Bale. It is a psychological thriller uh, that he actually made in between um, American Psycho and uh, Batman Begins. Yeah, he, I, I think it came out like 2004, 2003. Yeah, 2004. And the, so so it, this was one that had been on my list for a while just because I like Christian Bale and American Psycho was one of my favorite movies and... Uh, uh, and I like, and of course, I'm a fan of the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. So I'm just really curious to see, like, what, you know, the what he was on, uh, working on in between all of that. Uh, and I just like psychological thrillers. And yeah, this one uh, did not disappoint. It was uh, super solid. Uh, I really like the story. I like the way it was told. It had a really uh, just unique way of expressing uh, a couple of different themes uh, that I that I think are uh, interesting things to explore, such as like insomnia, guilt, uh, loneliness. Uh, just had a way of doing all that while wrapping it up in a sort of in a in a weird story but one that gets more interesting as it goes on mm -hmm. and just sort of uh, subverts your expectations uh, here and there it, it sort of like uh, how when you go through insomnia you get the stages where you don't know what's real what isn't anymore it's sort of like that happens as as uh, it gets later into the movie where you you just aren't sure what things that are happening to this character are real and what aren't anymore and if he's just succumbing to his insomnia or if he's just really getting like himself in this fucked up situation or not. Yeah, because he's um, asleep in the plot of the movie. He's like, a, not asleep, he's awake for, I think, weeks or months, right? He says, like, years. Years. There, yeah, because there, there's a character um, in it who's, uh, who's a hooker, and uh, he sleeps with her, and apparently, like, she's his best client, and she pretty much almost treats him like she's a friend maybe even almost a boyfriend and there gets to be a part where she says she would give it up to you know just to, to be like his partner um and yeah there there's one night where they're having like a intimate conversation he's just like i haven't slept in like a year or something like that yeah, like something is... outrageous that's almost unbelievable <laughs> but it gives you the idea of just how much how much this guy's lost his mind in terms of like he can't even gauge time to the point where he's just assuming that he's been like awake oh, for a year oh yeah i mean if you've been awake for a year, you'd be dead. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, it just, it just it just gives you an extra cage of like, whoa, this dude is out of his marbles. Yeah, and plus there's, it's such a tense movie in a lot of ways. You know, yeah. it's especially the scene in the uh, in the factory. And I don't want to spoil it for those who haven't seen it because The Machinist is a great film. But I think I know you know what scene I'm talking about, Eric. Um, maybe I, I, there's like two I'm thinking of because a lot of that movie takes place in the car factory that works there. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I think yeah, it's, there's there's two I think I know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It involves a worker and yeah, a body yeah. part. Yeah, right. yeah. That's a really tense scene. Um, but the yeah. one uh, the, I, th I actually thought this the other one I was thinking of was even more tense. The one that takes place later, where it's just him working, like after that goes down. Oh yeah, that's pretty tense too. Yeah. yeah, and then when he lashes out, that that was like that. I thought that that, I, that to me was like way more tense. Like that that first scene was just like, oh no, oh, it was just like this is fucked up. But that second scene was like, this guy is losing it. I yeah, know. yeah. Like it, the the first one was just generally traumatic, but that one just really gave gave you like a sense of like the, the psychological 
uh, damage that's that's happening to this guy. Oh, totally. And this, and this uh, and the scene where he's uh, you know shirtless and stuff like that, which has sort of become like a, a famous scene in the movie. Isn't I he mean, shirtless in a few scenes? He's shirtless in a few scenes, but um, I haven't seen seen the machinist in a couple of years. But I just remember there's a scene where he takes off his shirt and he sort of just is making like this really funny like pose and he's like yeah okay yeah that one. okay yeah yeah it, it, it's one of the it's, yeah that, that that scene takes place like when he's when when he's with the hooker one of the nights yeah yeah yeah. I think maybe it's even early on because she comments on like how she's like you be any thinner you blow away and she offers like make him breakfast like three times and he keeps going nah nah nah. Yeah, I love the way it plays with memory and repetition and and stuff right. like that in the human brain. It's just, I I think it's a, you know that movie. I think the only I think it's sad because I think you know it's sort of been overlooked because of all the movies that Christian Bale has done since. Yeah, uh, you know the Batman movies and and stuff like right. that, but I think it's a a really great movie and I think it's a really great performance. I think it's one easily one of his best. Yeah, it's definitely a hidden gem. I I I call it that. Yeah, but uh, yeah. What's the uh, what's the other movie you uh, recommend? The, the second movie I'd recommend is a. Also, sort of a psychological drama by uh, the the notorious filmmaker uh, Lars von Trier. Uh, oh yeah. He, he, uh, I would recommend his his second movie and what he refers to as as his depression trilogy, uh, Melancholia. Oh, dude, uh, so good. That movie, yeah, that movie was really good. Uh, I saw the, the I saw Antichrist, which is what he considers his first uh, movie in the depression trilogy. And that that's definitely an interesting piece. I've got a mixed opinion on that, but I'm talking about melancholy right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you know, uh, Annie Christ is definitely. Uh, I don't. I don't even. I don't know if I call that like a love it or hate it movie. That's just definitely one you will feel indifferent to. I feel like no matter what after. Yeah, I couldn't. Uh, I but, can't. Yeah. I mean. But. Uh, yeah. But uh, I won't. I don't. I won't say that I hate Annie Christ, but I don't love it either. I definitely have a, an indifferent opinion to it. But melancholy, man, that was a great. Uh, movie I, I wasn't sure what to expect there because when i read the plot synopsis for it i felt like i was reading the plot synopsis for two different movies like put together um but yeah it definitely all comes together in an interesting way uh it's a pretty the entire thing from like start to end is just a really awesome um like just metaphorical take on what it's like to go through clinical depression pretty much and just it, it just pretty much chronicles this one character's uh, bout with depression throughout her wedding and then uh, the a- after the wedding and what that's like. While at the same time, there's a planet called Melancholia that's on a collision course for Earth. And it's and, and uh, like I said, I read that and I was just like, how do those things, how do those two things connect at all? But um, I think what helps to know is that Melancholia, if you don't know the definition of it, is pretty much another word for just like for a deep sorrow or sadness pretty much it's pretty much another word for depression so once you once you know that this planet is named after another word for depression pretty much i think the, the entire i think uh, things make a lot, lot more sense and you you definitely get a huge scope of like the the, the, the huge metaphor that's taking place not like not just with that but like 
with the, the way the character reacts to everything and the way the characters around her react to her and react to that happening. Just the way everything plays out, it's just a really interesting uh, depict, uh, illustration, I guess you could say, of uh, depression in the form of just this re- this really simple tale. Uh, so, uh, so I like that. If you're if you're into like psychological stuff and just different ways of depicting uh, disorders and depression, definitely check out Melancholia. It's really good. And if and like I said earlier, like Andy Christ is definitely a movie that I feel like no matter what, you're gonna feel indifferent to after it's over. If you were someone who felt that way after watching Andy Christ, but you definitely saw you know potential for like you were definitely interested by the filmmaking style of it. Uh, and want to see maybe a less extreme version this would also be a good movie to watch because this is actually this is actually a pretty polished movie um and Lars von Trier has actually like sent in interviews and stuff that he almost like doesn't like how polished this movie is he says it doesn't really feel like one of uh his movies but a lot of people like it because it actually feels like a polished movie and it's definitely not as graphic as any Christ either I mean there's some nudity and some dirty stuff but it's definitely not as extreme and graphic as that movie is so yeah if, if you if you just really like unique perspectives on con concepts like i mentioned earlier and you are interested by Lon, uh, lars von Trier's filmmaking and couldn't get through antichrist definitely this is worth a watch because it is it, it's it's definitely it's a much smoother ride it's a very smooth ride and i, I liked it it's, it's a good thought piece yeah i i personally couldn't get through the ending of antichrist that's just me uh, I just couldn't get and Jay, yeah, you know, yeah, I just couldn't get through the ending of Antichrist. I just can't do it. I just wasn't I, to me. I just I don't know, but I do like Lars von Trier as a filmmaker, uh, and uh, I haven't seen Melancholia. It just went over my went under my radar. But uh, Eric, I think you've convinced me to give yeah, it a no, look it, now. Check that out. I I was I was super impressed with it. I was I was very skeptical. I was like I don't know. What I'm to be getting here and the plot synopsis which is weird but yeah i i really liked what i ended up getting out of it uh it it's good despite the first part of the trilogy being uh you know a little extreme yeah what's the what's the third part nymphomaniac okay yeah i figured because that just came out in the u.s the um the first part yeah no, no actually both parts are out oh now, both parts I... are out okay i wasn't sure yeah, uh, well, technically, it's 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 available on demand services right now, and I think like next month or in two months or something like that, it's gonna get like the home release and like a, some oh. screenings and stuff like that. But right now, it's available on I think like uh, iTunes and Redbox. Uh, I actually watched Volume One last night on uh, uh, PSN, uh, Sony, whatever their streaming service is called. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I watched part one last night. I'm gonna, probably going to watch part two tonight. Yeah, right. next, next podcast, yeah, so, you can let yeah. us know. I'm in the middle of Nymphomaniac, yeah. Uh, I, so yeah, I'll let you know whether I recommend <laughs> it or not next podcast. But yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Defi- I'm definitely intrigued with what I got out of uh, volume one so far. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Cool. But, at, but out of the Depression trilogy, Melancholia is definitely the one that has drawn me the most so far. Cool. But yeah, I Nymphomaniac, think that's the most appeal for sure. Yeah, for sure. Oh no, not Antichrist. That doesn't have the most appeal. Come on, Jay. <laughs> Man, <laughs> Antichrist is just like it's hard to get through. 
that movie I felt like I was being tickled as I watched it because there were so many parts where I was just like, no, no, like I was almost, like laughing and like just kind of squirming around, but I was still watching it just because like, but so it, it was definitely like, it was definitely not a movie that's enjoyable to watch, but it is one that made me think a lot about it for a while. And I definitely spent a lot of time, uh, ruminating over it and just thinking about the interpretations of like what all just just what certain things in it meant and what it was really trying to say and i've and i've read a lot on it too and it definitely has a very interesting idea behind it and uh very interesting backstory very interesting idea and just there's a lot i think that you can interpret from it so it's a very it's it's good uh it's good to digest but it's not good to watch it's not (laughs) it doesn't it doesn't feel good going down but once it's down it's very it, it definitely sits with you in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. It makes you yeah, think. Oh. Yeah, exactly. You know what's really funny about Antichrist is, okay, a movie about uh, two parents dealing with the death of their son. Yeah. Well, Lars von Trier was apparently trying to develop a video game based off it also. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, and it never came together, but mm-hmm. I wish I could have seen what that was going to be because <laughs> if you see the movie there's no possible way that translate into a game at all. So yeah, I, 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 I wish that would have come. I mean, there, cause part of his idea was that in like a few years before he made any Christ, he wanted to make a horror movie that was like any Christ, but actually a little more like a horror movie that was hmm. about, uh, basically he watched some documentary where in parts of Europe, uh, forests are considered to be hell on earth because it's a place where it's full of different species that are constantly fighting and killing each other to live and survive. And th- and there there's parts of Europe that consider that to like literally be like what hell is, just a place where things are constantly killing each other and just like there's chaos everywhere. So he just thought that was really interesting because in like our culture, like forest are considered to be more of like a calm, peaceful place. Uh, so he wanted to make a horror movie that focused on that, and apparently the big twist of this horror movie was you were going to find out that uh, Satan was the one who made planet Earth and not God. And he was making uh, that horror movie with someone else. I forget what the other dude's name was, but apparently this person like outed the big twist in an interview or something. Oh, that's so. That's <laughs> oh god. And that pissed him off to the part where he like came, to the point where he like pretty much canceled the project. Um, and then a few years later, he, 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 he ended up rewriting the script to be Antichrist. So there is definitely, like, still that idea there that, like, you know, may, what if human life was actually created by Satan and not God? But it's never just, it's never stated because he felt like that that was just something that was already ruined for people and he didn't want to, like, he was like, I don't know, that, that, the idea of, like, trying to visit that so much as the rest of it was just uninteresting to him because it's already been ruined for people, he thought. But, yeah, uh, yeah but that's pretty much what... Uh, he, he he sort of had in mind when he was writing Antichrist is what if this forest they go to where he tries to like uh, to provide psychotherapy for or exposure therapy for his wife was actually uh, some depiction of hell and that's why all this shit happens and that's when the three beggars come three the three beggars in the movie apparently there's a religious tale I forget in what part of the world or what religion it is there it's a story about these three animals that come to offer uh, like sympathy and like good feelings when you're going through something traumatic and I feel like what uh, Von Trier is trying to do in Antichrist was the three beggars are a flip version of that because this is like it's supposed to because the world is supposed to be like hell on earth and in it they represent like uh, 
what is it? It's grief, pain, and despair. So they're the three beggars offer the opposite of like help and good feelings. They offer like they they pretty much are the driving force behind everything that happens uh, throughout the movie. Uh, so yeah, there, there's just a lot to chew on in terms of like all that. But obviously, like I said, because he 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 felt like that all that religious stuff was sort of tainted. It really took a backseat role to the movie. Um, and then we ended up with Antichrist. Yeah, I mean, that whole thing that you just talked about, the a writer, you know, uh, not a writer, but just someone revealing the the plot of a movie, the plot twist. Yeah. Reminds me of, uh, and then that getting, getting leaked out, and then a whole, just that whole movie getting thrown out. I mean, that reminds me of, um, oh, God, most recently, uh, Quinn Tarantino's uh, Hateful Eight script got leaked out. Yeah, I heard about that. And then, uh, and now he's in a whole lawsuit with Gawker because they posted an article that had that linked to uh, the screenplay. And yeah, it's sort of sad because Hateful Eight in concept seemed like a really cool idea, mm-hmm. but um, you know maybe you know it'll be good for him to do something that gets away from uh, maybe the Western, and he'll maybe yeah. do something. Maybe maybe it'll be a good thing, and he'll. It'll spark him to work on a creative project. Maybe it'll be Kill Bill Volume Three. <laughs> Who knows? Or maybe... well, it has been ten years now. <laughs> or yeah. Maybe he'll. Pull he said he would make part three ten years later with all the same actors and everything, but he's so full of shit. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows at this point? But maybe he'll pull Lars von Trier and make a version of Crazy Eights in a couple of years that is just completely like a flip version of what he originally had in mind and just... That could be cool. Because <laughs> while he's on depression, because I also forgot to mention that while Von Trier was making Antichrist, apparently he was going through a huge bout of depression. Uh, but he wanted to get the thing made, so he kind of worked through it. And he said in interviews that he definitely wasn't all there consciously. He didn't feel like as he was creating that movie, and that's part of why a lot of it is also sort of just like... Just hard, just almost borderline impossible to deter- to interpret as you're watching it mm-hmm. uh, and you guys you sort of got to just think about it afterward and like hear what he had to say about it mm-hmm. um, yeah definitely yeah that's Antichrist I also forgot to mention the depression trilogy because I'm like this and in the case of the people who like this they don't uh, They do- the movies aren't connected story wise at all they're connect- connected only I guess you could say thematically because Antichrist he wrote just while he was going through a huge bout of depression and then melancholy is actually mm-hmm. about depression um but the stories are actually they're completely separate uh, they're just all made by him and they all have some of the same actors so in case you got so in case some of the listeners were wondering uh you don't have to see one so you don't you don't have to see one to get the other so in case you were like oh man i want to check out melancholia but i, I don't want to want to sit through any christ you don't got it just check out melancholia hmm. very cool very cool. Um, that, that, hey, Eric, that was a really great recommendation. Yeah. Really great recommendations. We got so. Yeah. Machinist is great, and uh, I think I'm definitely going to check out Melancholia now. Yeah, a lot of psychological rep- recommendations this week. Yeah, yeah. Mine's a little bit uh, less so, my recommendation for this week uh, for uh, for movie. It's... Uh, 
called In the Mood for Love, directed by Wong Kar Wai. And uh, it's a Hong Kong film. It came out in uh, 2000. And uh, it was nominated for the Palme d'Or at uh, the Cannes Film Festival. And uh, it's basically about uh, this couple in Hong Kong in 1962. And uh, basically the plot is how they basically fall in love because the relationships that they are in, you know, at the beginning of the movie, uh, slowly uh, fall apart or, or at least they you know they believe they're falling apart and it's a you know it's a very stylistic very um very uh, beautiful movie lots of really great use of slow motion and, and classical music there's a lot of very interesting and unique editing choices that you'd almost think for this type of movie don't even really uh, you know that the director wouldn't make, but once you you know sort of get used to the aesthetic of the movie and the uh, pacing of the movie, the style of the movie, basically it you really come to appreciate it, and uh, I I really enjoyed it, and I found out apparently it's the middle part of a trilogy, with the other the first being another movie called Days of Being Wild. And which came out in 1991, and the, and the third one is called 2046. Not after the year, but after the uh, the hotel room that the movie takes place in, uh, the number of the hotel room, and that came out in 2004. And um, yeah, so sort of similar to the um, to the you know the Depression trilogy, um, it's linked. The each of the movies are linked thematically. But at the same time, they do also have characters from each movie. Uh, you know, they sort of uh, age and uh, they go through oh. different experiences for each of the films, which is really interesting. And um, so the same, so the same actual story characters are reside throughout these three movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, and those characters are, uh, uh, you know, Cho Mo Wang and. Uh, uh, sorry, Cho, uh, Chow Mo Wan. I'm looking at the uh, Wikipedia article right now, um, and uh, and uh, Su Li Zhen or Mrs. Chan. And uh, it's, what's really cool that they have the same actors portray them in all three films, which is really cool. And uh, and in that way, I think it's a really, really just really interesting trilogy and uh in the mood for love it's such a critically acclaimed movie and uh the other two are a little bit lesser known but i definitely want to check them out now and uh you know it's just i really i really can't recommend it enough if if you especially if you love hong kong cinema or and uh have never heard of this movie it's it's really really great and uh Wong Kar Wise is really known, I think, for a movie called the uh, Chungking Express. I don't know if you guys have heard of that movie. Mm-hmm. No, as I've I've heard of in the mood for love actually, but I haven't heard of that. Yeah, Chungking Express, I haven't seen either, but <clears throat> it's you know he it's a very interesting movie from what I've heard, and uh, he also his most recent film is a film called The Grandmaster, which uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of either. 
but yeah, uh, I think Grandmaster and Chunking are both on uh, Criterion Collection, right? I think so. Yeah, I don't know about yeah. Grandmaster, but I think Chunking mm. Expresses, and I and, and I think In the Mood for Love is also on Criterion Collection. Okay, but um, yeah, the Grandmaster, you know, is I think got nominated for an Oscar for Best Cinematography, and it you know, I can sort of now seeing In the Mood for Love which is a beautiful film in itself, you know, I sort of can really see that, you know, you know, uh, the cinematographers for all of Wong Kar Wai's films are just incredible. Really, just the use of, the use of lighting and, um, and art design, especially in The Mood for Love, is just absolutely incredible and really is really well done and really beautiful. And really adds to the story too, and uh, and that world, the you know Hong Kong in 1962, and uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. In the mood for love, it's a fantastic movie, and can't recommend it enough. And uh, yeah, but uh, that's my recommendation for this week, and. Uh, you know, I haven't really watched a lot of Hong Kong cinema, you know, but there's been so many great directors to come from, from Hong Kong and so many great films. Hmm. Um, you know, I think we all recommended foreign films this year, or this uh, episode. Oh, uh, The Machinist is American, I oh, believe, true. actually. I, I fucked it up. <laughs> Should have just stuck with Milton Collier. <laughs> <laughs> Be all international and shit. <laughs> could, could could have could have been international cast, but no longer. No longer. Where... I bet the machinist was directed by a, by some foreigner or something. <laughs> it's, it's weird enough. It's too smart for an American movie. Brad Anderson is the most un-American name I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brad. Oh yeah, look at yeah. Brad Anderson was director. He directed. No, no, but it's it's a Spanish film, though. Spanish production. Oh, well, there you go. Interesting. There you go. And we got to watch some American stuff. Get the uh, stars and stripes like ratio back up in here. Yeah. No fuck. I'm moving out no. of America. I'm okay. Yeah. We got. We got to watch. Uh, we got to watch Transformers: Age of Extinction. I saw Between Two Ferns with Obama and I said, this country's being run by a fucking comedian. I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm well, I Lincoln just talking about that today to someone. Uh, how Lincoln people are upset about it. that. Lincoln would have done Between Two Ferns? No. no he would have he, he yeah. oh. done it. Oh, he wouldn't have? So that's why Obama is a crap president because Lincoln wouldn't have been on comedy. That's why. Yeah. Didn't, yeah, Bill O'Reilly said that, right, Jay? I think so, yeah. I think it was O'Reilly. Yeah, I gotta link that in the description. That's a hilarious clip. It's hilarious how not self-aware Bill O'Reilly can be at times. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I thought the Between Two Ferns episode with uh, Zach Galifianakis and Obama was, <laughs> at times, very funny. Just in the way that uh, Zach Galifianakis just mocked the president for his reason coming on. and Oh yeah, he didn't let up. He did his usual stick. He did. Committed. I I think, I think my favorite part has to be, what he asked. Uh, so how does it feel to be uh, the last black president? And I I just that was great. 
and uh, yeah, I I really thought that was great. And um, but I guess it's sort of weird. It, but it, you know, it's actually you know, it's not really that weird if you think about it, because a lot of presidents have in the past have been on comedy shows and stuff like that. I think Gerald Ford, all the way back in the seventies, was on Saturday Night Live, and uh, I think Bill Clinton was on the Arsenio Hall show when he was running for president. And a lot of people think that's why he uh, he won the election because he was able to appeal to young voters and stuff like that. A lot similar in a lot of ways to Obama. And uh, but yeah, uh, gotta watch more American movies though. <laughs> gotta watch more. Uh, Transformers gotta watch more uh uh Y'all excited for Ninja Turtles? <laughs> oh yeah, that's right, the trailer for uh Jonathan Liebsman's uh Liebsman's um Ninja Turtles movie came out, which every single person thinks is directed by Michael Bay, but it's not. And I love how in the opening of the trailer it immediately says from producer Michael Bay. <laughs> oh god. I don't know. Did you did you guys see the trailer for that or no? Yeah. Um. Uh. I I had no expectation. Well, I had a certain level of expectation going into it, but then when I saw uh, Nickelodeon movies pop up, my expectations lowered by about fifty percent. Walked away going, <laughs> "That trailer wasn't bad for a fun kids movie." Yeah, that's the thing though. It didn't seem like a kids movie to me. It seemed more like a. a you know, like a, a tra- It seemed like a Transformers film. It seemed like a you know. The well, Island, or, or like a, a typical yeah. Michael Bay movie, but it just happened to have the Ninja Turtles in it, you know? It didn't really show off a lot of the the charm that the, uh, you know, that the Ninja Turtles can add to it. It seemed like they sort of took it in a, definitely a more grittier direction, except for the ending of the trailer, which, you know, has Michelangelo doing a little joke and everything. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see tonally... Like, if it's going to be sort of like that. But, I don't know. I really have no interest in it. But, I don't know. I mean, if it's good, if it's honestly good, I'll go see it. But I don't have any expectations of that film being good. But, who knows? Yeah, I'm just, I got mediocre expectations. Like, I don't expect it to be too, too bad. But it's not going to be anything that thrills me much. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be there. Yeah, Jay, what do, you, what do you think? Did you see the trailer? Uh, you know, I clicked through it, but honestly, I've never <laughs> been I've never been a big uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, so... Yeah. Honestly, like, I could kind of care less either way. It's, I mean... Basically, it, yeah. It's just silly. I think it's gotten so yeah. far away from, like, what it originally was. Yeah. Which it started out... I, you know, I know a little bit about... It started out, I think, in Heavy Metal Magazine, just as a parody of Frank Miller's Ronin. And yep. now they're like treating like the turtles almost as like they're serious, the serious thing. And I, I don't know, it, it's never been my thing. I, I think I was a little bit too young for the old movies, mm-hmm. and I never, I don't know. I was a Power Rangers guy. I never yeah. got into it. <laughs> same. I'm just the same way. <laughs> yeah, turtles was never my thing. Mm-hmm. I was the opposite actually. I, uh, I wasn't. I was never big on the Power Rangers. I just couldn't get into it as a kid, and. Uh, you know, uh, I think I appreciated more when I went back and watched uh, some of the original Japanese series that, you know, the American Power Rangers all took their footage from, mm-hmm. especially the behind-the-scenes stuff. 
Like, there's a whole documentary on YouTube, I think, of just behind-the-scenes footage of uh, all the Japanese Sentai series and stuff like that. It's really fascinating to watch. Um, but I don't know, I sort of grew up watching the 2003 Ninja Turtles animated series when I was a kid. And so I never saw, I didn't really see a whole lot or watched a whole lot of the cartoon or any of the original comic books from the early 80s or um, or any of the live action movies. Although I do like the first live action movie. I think that it's that's a good movie for, for, for what it could have been. It could have been a piece of shit like the sequels were. <laughs> but I, I do, I do enjoy the first movie and I, I, I really enjoy the 2003 animated series just because of the way, for for a kid show, it's not afraid to get dark and violent at times in certain points in the story, and in that way it really respected its audience, and uh, you know uh, the average and the audience's intelligence and stuff like that. But it was also really entertaining and and funny and and pretty well written for for a kid show, and I really enjoyed it growing up. And, uh, but it also had a lot of charm to it as well. And, uh, it just seems like this new Ninja Turtles movie, at least from this first trailer, you know, it seems like they're emphasizing more on the action than sort of the charm of the Turtles and the idea of the Turtles. So, I don't know. I mean, I really, it just does not seem like a movie that I would enjoy because I do not like any of Jonathan Liebsman's films. He's directed such classics as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning, and Battle Los Angeles. I don't know if you guys have ever seen any of those films. Uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The begin, the 2006 prequel? Yeah. Uh, you know what? That's actually my favorite one. Fuck it. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I'm a fan of the '70s one too, and the uh, the '70s one and the, like the later like '80s, '90s prequels. I have mixed feelings mm-hmm. on, but the '70s one's a classic. But man, I just feel like I don't know because the '70s one is I like it, but it's not like one of my favorite movies ever, and it's not like I don't know. I don't. I feel like I don't have that drive to jerk off over it as much as other people do. But I, <laughs> I, 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 I appreciate. But hey, I know I appreciate it for what it is, and it's there. It's just not like a, the end all be all to horror and cinema and everything but it but it definitely does its thing and it does it well but i just felt like i I was i was a big fan of the remake and then i just felt like the beginning just fucking took it balls to the wall because like texas chainsaw massacre that is a title that you never hear the movies that puts an image in your head that is like like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like oh no, the remake is way more brutal than the original. Exactly, way more like, brutal. It it it, it, ha- it had a brutality to it that it's not saying that the original oh suckers didn't have that brutality or anything. Like the, the original did its thing and that's great, but this one added the brutality that I feel like everyone that I feel like some people just really originally had in mind when it came to like that type of movie. And mm-hmm. man, it, it brought it home, and I feel like the beginning only. Uh, ramped it up from there. Just like they, there is, they do some insane stuff in that movie. The oh effects no, yeah, the kills are, in that movie are my god. Are, are ins- and the and the the effects are great too. Like they, 
and I didn't realize how great the effects were until this last Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh my god, the which which I don't know, Jay or Kelly, have you heard of this movie, the the Texas Chainsaw 3D? No, I've only seen the the original one. Yeah, I only saw the original one too, and I've seen scenes from the remake, and I've seen scenes from the second one, um, and also Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Next Generation, the one with Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, he's um, great. He, he honestly is the best thing about that movie. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, he, the, I, I said to someone not too long ago that he was he was the diamond in the rough of that movie because man, like that movie, he was he was great in that, and the movie does also one or two other things, and it's like okay, I could see that you were trying to do something cool here, but for the most part, ugh, man, that movie. That movie's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, like th- and that that also has like I think my absolute least favorite iteration of um leatherface Leatherface yeah that movie sucks yeah leatherface (laughs) that's another thing leatherface constantly changes in the sequels in the remake i'm fine with him being changed but in the sequels he just constantly is changing actors changing personalities oh yeah it's bizarre at times because because there's a there's like a different team for like every movie yeah there's a different yeah it's but it's just sort of weird to see like a character that you figure would have like no growth he'd be sort of like a jason Voorhees type character but he like really gains like personality and changes so much over the course of the sequels yeah he's basically by the time you get to new beginning uh, and even the third one, he's just a, almost a totally different character in a lot of ways. Yeah, he especially does a new one. He was a pretty different character. Yeah. He, oh he yeah. Def- he definitely has wavering uh, personality. But I, but I heard the new one. Yeah, Texas Chainsaw 3D, which posits itself as the only true sequel now of the original, disregarding <laughs> all the other ones and the remake and the new beginning. And uh, so, well, or, have you seen it? I, I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's okay. garbage. I've heard it's no, terrible. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. Uh, the, I was like half and half on it after I watched it, but the more I let it digest, the more I'm like, yeah, that wasn't that great. So, um, but it, I mean, it calls itself that just because like it literally picks up where the first movie ends off. So in the sense, it, it you can tell that they were like, okay, they are trying to make a sequel to it, uh, the original movie. But um, yeah, so I mean, that like that was interesting, but. God, there's just some fucking lines in that movie. Oh my God, there's, yeah, I heard. There's just absolutely terrible the dialogue yeah, in that the, movie. The, the and the and the ending was so like, I mean, you wouldn't expect it, and at first I kind of appreciate that, but the more that was like, I didn't expect that because it's not something that should happen in this movie. <laughs> like, it's not something that should, the ending was just like, it shouldn't have ended this way. This is just like, well, this is off. This you is can awful. you can say what it is because I don't think anyone here is going to see it or really cares about the ending of this movie. <laughs> It uh, basically, uh, Leatherface. Oh, what the fuck is it? He like, <laughs> <laughs> he. The the whole movie is like okay, so uh, pretty much the the first the first movie ends. Uh, what happens is that because you know the one girl gets away at the end of the original. Yeah. And, you know, she contacts the sheriff station, and apparently the sheriff drives over to the Hewitt house. And uh, that attracts like a whole bunch of other like hillbillies who are like who realize that the Hewitts are like bad people. Uh huh. And, and they're all like, "Yeah, fuck them up, let's get them." And and pretty much they pretty much like firebomb this house and like start throwing like Molotovs in it and shit and like yeah. pretty much bur- like like pretty much just like kill all the entire family inside the house. 
and then like yeah didn't one of the original i heard one of the original actors from the first texas chainsaw massacre reprised his role for one of those scenes um the the guy who played leatherface um i I can't recall his name right now it's haunting my tongue but he he played he played one of the family members inside the house in the opening scene of uh, oh wow yeah so they got him and so yeah i mean there's there's still cool little things like that but yeah, eventually, so then, like, if, so that's, like, it, that still takes place, like, in the 70s, and then it flips to modern time. Oh, God. And Alexandra Daddario's character, I forget what her name is, uh, but she inherits the Hewitt house and finds out that she has a uh, family there. And, yeah, apparently, like, as the, the house is being bombed, like, the, like, one of the, like, the mother, like, ran out and, like, like, like put the, I think put the baby like in like a dumpster or, like under a car or something like that and then another family found her uh, like after the wreckage was over and like adopted her so she pretty much inherits the Hewitt house and then we find out that like Leatherface is still like living in the house just like under the basement what and, and she, oh and god it, so so you know like the kids move in they party and everything and then eventually like Leatherface like, kills them all basically yeah, he kills them all except for Alexander Daddario's character, and then uh, eventually uh, uh, some some other characters get involved. Blah blah blah. The story goes on, but then eventually, like he, you find, like he has the chance to kill her. Like she's she, uh, like some some other evil secondary antagonist like ties her up or whatever, and they and and so they tie so they tie her up and it's like these other guys i forget who they are. i think they're like some like sheriffs that got or gone wrong and they want like to they 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 pretty oh yeah no they they hate alexandra daddario's character because she's a hewitt and they want to like they want to like like pretty much kill kill them themselves uh and then kill leatherface but then leatherface comes and finds her and then he sets her free he doesn't kill her and then, okay. Yeah, and then you find out that like apparently, and then you, and then they start working together, and then like, <laughs> real, and then she she realizes that she's related to him, and that's why he's like being nice to her and stuff. And there, and then eventually, like her and Leatherface take down like the two like evil sheriffs or whatever. And then her and Leatherface go back to the house, and she finds a letter in the house that from uh i forget who one of the other family members that was like a, a will or inher- an inheritance letter that basically said that she was inheriting the house mm-hmm. but along with it she was inheriting uh uh the adoption of uh um leatherface too or i guess thomas hewitt whatever his name is in the movie uh and and that it's now her job to take care of him and now she's like the caretaker for leatherface so yeah it pretty much ends with like her washing up Leatherface and like putting him downstairs like a plate of food and stuff. It's like, oh my god, what, what the fuck? <laughs> it's just like, it's like, uh, is this a happy ending? Is this, is this what they were going for? I don't know. Like, it, it was, it was fucking weird. Uh, but yeah, like I said, like they tried to do something different with it, and at first I was like, okay, I can respect that. But the more I think about it, it's like that, they, they shouldn't just have not done, <laughs> done that. And it just made me realize like how much. How, how good the effects were in the beginning after I saw that. Yeah, on that note, though, I think we're going to... We're going to call it a cast, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah. Uh, Jay, it was, it was great having you on. Oh, well, th- um, no, thank you for having me. It was uh, fun to spend a couple hours talking about movies and stuff with you guys. Yeah, oh, yeah. And where can... Uh, where can all the listeners out there? Where can they find you on the 
social media and all that and uh what's uh what's your website there where you have all your uh designs and stuff like that uh probably uh jasoncryer.com is the best place to to check it out and then it has links to everything else from there my facebook and all that stuff but yeah jasoncryer.com is like that has all my artwork displayed right on there so that's probably the best place to go to awesome that's great man well yeah once again uh Thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank it. you. Thank it's great you. talking with you about movies and, and art and all that, video games. It's really great. But, uh, yeah. And thank you to all the listeners out there. Uh, hope you have a great good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're listening to the Cell Shock podcast. Have a good one, folks.